taught through chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk. And I was in the children's ministry making sure your kids got their daily dose of Play-Doh. Um, they did consume it, all of them. So I got to listen to Zach's sermon this week via podcast, and he walked us through drawing near to God, being honest um, with God when we encounter injustice, when we see injustice, um, not being afraid to doubt or to uh, be transparent, but when we experience those things, when we see those things, to run to God and not uh, run away from him or shy away from uh, his message. Because um, the truth is there are terrible, terrible things happening every day um, on this planet, in our country, in our cities, and you know, relatively there are terrible things that are happening in this body, in this church every day. Week. There are struggles that uh, some of us know about and some of us don't see. And so we need to be honest with ourselves and trust that God, who has a unique creator perspective of this world and our lives, that he is greater than all of that evil, greater than all of the injustices that we see, and ask ourselves, do we trust him? Do we trust that our God is bigger than all of those things? Zach pointed out uh, in Habakkuk, God is going to use uh, seemingly a greater evil to correct and chastise uh, God's people who were committing injustices, who were committing evil before God. And Habakkuk was uncomfortable with that. I'm sure a lot of us would be uncomfortable, you know, whether, you know, Zach pointed out um, China or the KKK, these entities that are doing terrible things, being raised up to a place where they would be able to exercise their authority over something that we did not see as big of as an evil. Zach talked about God being sovereign over that. And I think it's easy for us to look at evil, whether it be in our own lives or our family or our neighbor, and it's easy to excuse it when uh, they're a friend of ours or they share the same views that we do or you know, they work for the same company we do. But the truth is, we need to call a spade a spade. We need to not be afraid of standing up for what is right, standing up for what is moral, standing up for what is good, and saying, no, this is wrong. But I think one of the challenges that we have, we, we live in this, I want to say, unique time in history where we have just opened the floodgates for information in our lives. We wake up every morning and we turn on our phones or our computers and we have all of this information just flooding into our minds. And 
a lot of that is helpful, a lot of that is good, but there is in that flood misinformation, propaganda, lies that we just hear and we are affected by. I think we as people are built to respond to information quickly. Um, so I, I'll confess to you guys, um, I have a VR at home, if you guys know what those are. It's a screen that you tape to your forehead and it covers your eyes and it projects, um, in my case, video games and creates this virtual reality. And um, the graphics are not good. I should not believe the images that are in front of my eyes, but I'm in my base. If you guys want to come over and see me act like an idiot for 30 minutes, it's, it's a treat. Um, but I'm convinced that I'm standing on the edge of a cliff. I'm convinced that these robots are going to kill me. And, you know, my heart rate increases and I physically sweat because I'm fending off these evil robots. And you take it off and you're in your basement. You know, like you experience something, this information that changed your perspective and I responded to it. And, you know, as I can say, oh, that's a video game. How many times does information come into my life? that I'm not sure if it's real, but I respond to it. I'm not sure if it's true, I'm not sure if it's a lie, but I respond to it. Um, so in our house, um, when we can, we like to use natural cleaners. And my wife has an app that you can scan any household product, and it tells you how poisonous, how deadly it is for you. You know, don't have this in your house, you're going to die tomorrow. Um, and some of that may be very true. You know, you should not be drinking any of this stuff. But the app is sponsored by the people that sell the alternative. We all have some bias, we all have some bent, we all have some agenda with the information that we are giving or receiving. And so how are we, as Christians, living in a world where information is coming and going, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to respond to injustice when we see it in our lives? In this chapter, uh, Bill read it somewhere in there. It's a long, a long jaunt. But in verse 4, the tail end of it, says, But the righteous one will live by his faith. And this verse, in a weird book in the Old Testament, um, is quoted three times in the New Testament. And if you have done any devotionals or Bible studies, or you know, this is sometimes the theme to youth camp, it's a very common, well-known verse. As Christians, we look to this verse knowing that um, it is not by our deeds, by our righteous acts, that we find salvation. It's not how we live. We don't live trying to be as good as we can. We live by our faith. And the language uh, is gener generous enough 
for us to translate this, the righteous one lives by his faithfulness. If you have faith, you will be faithful. If you have faith that you know, a chair is going to support your weight, you can sit in that chair. If you have faith that an airplane is going to get you to a destination, you are confident, that, confident enough that you will get on that plane. And so if we have faith in God, the choices that we make will reflect that faith. But before we get started, um, I just want to take a moment and pray, because this is, um, as we walk through these woes, there are five woes that God gives to the prophet, and they're not curses that Habakkuk gives to the Babylonians, they're warnings, and they're warnings that are given as a resource to the people of God that they can recite to their oppressors and say, this is fact. The evil that you're committing, the injustices that you're committing will be answered for, and God is going to come down on that. And so as we read through this, we can say, as people of God, we know that injustices will be taken care of, but before we came to God, these verses describe the lives that we lived. These verses describe our own lives when we give in to our flesh, when we pursue our self-interest, when we allow ourselves to set God aside and run after the things that our natural self desires. So let's pray real quick. God, thank you um, for your word. God, we thank you for the Old Testament, which has books that uh, can be super weird. But God, as we read through them, and as we walk through them, we know that your truth still stands and that you have a message for us, that your word is living, that it is active, that it will speak to our hearts, that it will change our hearts, and that we as a people need that. So God, I pray that as we read through this morning, as we talk about these things, that we would be um, comforted, that we would be reassured that you do not uh, overlook evil, that we'd be convicted, that we would know that we are susceptible to the temptations around us, that we would follow these things if we are weak, if we don't trust you. So God, I pray that this morning you would um, soften our hearts, that you would mold our hearts, and that we as a people would leave this place rejoicing in the fact that uh, our God is just and that we would um, just be sober-minded in the fact that we need to guard our own hearts from some of these things. So God, I pray that you just fill me with your spirit, that you'd fill my mouth with your words, and that you would be heard this morning. God, we thank you in your name. Amen. So what does it look like for us to live in a way that honors God, that doesn't allow the injustices of the world to run amok? Because justice 
is the responsibility of society. We see that in Genesis 3 when God uh, kind of directs Adam and Eve on how to deal with um, evil as humans. And we see in the Old Testament law that, you know, evil is to be dealt with by the governing authorities. And sometimes it works out well. Sometimes that doesn't work out well. And so does that mean that we as followers of God overthrow every government that is unjust? Does it mean that we um, turn into some sort of vigilante and bring justice into our own hands? I don't think so. Because naturally, we want to build systems of morality. For our own salvation, uh, we have this idea of if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, that should be enough. If I'm better than this person, that should be enough. If I vote this way, that should be enough. If I am off the grid and don't touch anybody and nobody touches me, that should be enough. But Paul quotes chapter 2, verse 4 to the Galatians. In chapter 3, he says, the just don't live by the law. The righteous, the just, live by faith. It's the understanding that our deeds do not determine the trajectory of our eternal life, but the one who gives eternal life should guide the trajectory of our deeds. So Habakkuk seeks God for a word, for help, and God gives him an answer. He says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself On the lookout tower, I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet, for the appointed time, it testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and it will not be late." So this idea of a watchman on a watchtower, a few of the prophets in the Old Testament use this picture, whether it be metaphorical or literal, this idea of waiting for an answer. I think all of us can point back at a time in our lives where we had to wait for an answer from the Lord. Um, Jackson, there you are. Jackson and I have been talking uh, in the past few weeks about direction and Um, just where to go in life and praying about these things. And sometimes it feels like, you know, God isn't giving us a clear, concrete direction. But I think God promises that he will guide us. It may not be the answer that we expect. It may not be um, the way that he answers us, may not be how we expected it to be. But I think if we wait, God promises that he will answer. Habakkuk doesn't say how long he waited, but God did answer him. I think we can all look back at our times where, look back in our lives at times where God 
in his perfect timing, answered a prayer. Maybe we thought it was late, but looking back at our lives, we say, oh, that was right on time. Uh, George Mueller, who ran an orphanage uh, over in the UK way back when, um, has these stories about, you know, his orphanage had zero food and 50 orphans, and they would pray for dinner to be there that night, and they would sit down at 4.59 or whatever it was and pray and thank God for the food that he would provide, and at 5 o'clock, there'd be a knock on the orphanage door, somebody dropping off all this food for the orphans, I think we need to live in such a way where we expect God to answer. I think that's my problem. Because I know that I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to ask God for these things. But I don't pray expecting God to answer like he does. I think it's more of an obligation of like, I read scripture, this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do it. But pray for me that my faith would be bolstered where I would pray in expectation for God to answer in his perfect timing. God says, make this message clearly seen so that one can easily read it. When God answers, He doesn't muddy the waters. I think that for a lot of us, there's so much mystery in God that we pray and when we look for him to answer, you know, Jess can tell you, I I, uh, fall for this sometimes. You know, when you're, I'll just use the example because it's embarrassing, but it makes the point. Um, So Jess and I were, praying uh, for kids. We, we have kids now. This is before them. Uh, our prayers have changed since they arrived. Um, but before, you know, we tried to have kids. wasn't happening and um, for years. And the doctors were like, nothing's wrong. Keep trying. Keep, keep trying. And that was frustrating. So I'd go for runs, and I'd be praying on my runs. And I'd finish a run one day, and I was coming back up to the house, and There's a room on the front of our house that we knew that was going to be the nursery. And there was, I kid you not, a dove right above that room. And I was like, oh, my gosh. God's answering. Because there's the symbol of peace above that nursery. And I told Jess, and Jess is like, you're an idiot. Like, doves are all over the place by our house. And... God didn't say, I'm going to send a dove. You know, it wasn't this promise. It was me looking for some weird abstract answer. And um, we have twin boys now, and there's no peace in that room at all. So (laughs) it's not about the dove. Point being, when God speaks, he speaks clearly. Habakkuk hears God's answer and obeys and writes down this message to relay to the people of God these five warnings to the Babylonians 
promises that God is going to deliver justice, promises for the people of God that they can be reassured that their suffering isn't for nothing. Their suffering will have its purpose and it will come to an end. And after that, those that have oppressed them will be taken care of. Verse 6, Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations and all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against the lands, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who amasses what is not his. Um, If we look at how much fraud and embezzlement and um, just in our own day, how many corporations are fueled by greed and not for um, the well-being of their employees or for their communities and just come through and take advantage. I mean, we can see that on a daily basis in the news. Who knows how much isn't reported that we don't see. And a lot of families end up losing their jobs, their homes. We can take rest that those corporations, God sees them. And for the people of God, the people that Habakkuk is going to be relaying this message to, the Babylonians were fierce, were um, successful in war, and they were ruthless. And probably at a time in history where it didn't seem like anyone could stop them, God says, I will. The people that they are plundering will plunder them. And as Christians, we need to understand that it is easy to defraud somebody, easy to defraud a brother or sister, to take advantage of, to um, lift ourselves up while putting other people down. But I think the man who lives by his faith, the person who lives by their faith, doesn't victimize anyone. If we look at our lives and just look at the aftermath of a situation, you know, assess, did we take advantage? Did we put anybody down to elevate ourselves, to put ourselves in a better position, whether it be at our job or at school or even in our church, our spiritual community? We don't live in a way that cuts other people down. We don't cause, we don't create victims. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. 
You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. We have this weird, and it might be globally, but I think we see it a lot in our lives in America. Um, We have this weird fascination with crime families. Like The Godfather and its slew of movies. uh, What's the newest one from Netflix? The Irishman. Um, You know, where you have these criminals that have this weird moral like family is it you do anything for family because we love our family and you see these people take care of their own you know it's always the cousin we always take care of our cousin you know cousin Vinny or cousin whoever but they in the same breath in the same scene murder however many people and I think it just you know as we watch that and it might make good cinema according to whoever but it reveals the truth that we as humans are capable of doing objectively good and objectively evil in the same act. Wanting to protect our family, wanting to take care of our own in the most violent and evil way. And God says, no, we're not about that. We're not about violence. We're not about protecting our families that way. And I think, ultimately, it reveals that our trust isn't in God, but in the authority that we have ourselves. You know, being a father, being a husband, like, I will do anything for my wife and kids at the expense of my own life. But to go and take the lives of others, like that is, you know, even if someone was trying to harm them, saying, I'm going to take them out. Like that's a big conversation that I have to have with myself, with the Lord, taking a life. God says we, you know, the just are not about that. We don't build up our families at the expense of others. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house. I think that uh, success is a good thing, but not at the expense of those around us, not at the expense of truth. Verse 12 Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk. Sorry, I skipped ahead to the next woe. In Genesis chapter 2, we see man and woman being placed in a garden and given jobs. 
chapter 3, the fall. And they're still given responsibilities, but because of sin, there comes consequences. But it's still multiplying, it's still cultivating, it's still taking care of. And so that's at the beginning of the Bible. Humanity starts out in a garden, and at the end of the Bible, humanity is in a garden city with their creator. This idea of cultivation, this idea of building up and um, continuing to create with what God has created, to build cities, to build communities, to build quote-unquote empires, but not with injustice, not with bloodshed. I think that with uh, the amount of community that God asks us to have among the church, the churches, the local church, the churches in the area, you know, brothers and sisters, this idea of family and how we are supposed to be this model for the outsiders, the non-believers, the world to look in and see a community of people that flourishes. You know, a, a town that has many churches should be a town that is flourishing, but not because they're cunning, not because its people are successful, not because its people know how to move money around, but because they are people that have faith because they are people that cultivate and not cut down, that are fruitful, that multiply in a way that is just, that is honorable, that is kind. Verse 15 says, Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath, and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. He will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands and cities and all who live in them. So the Babylonians came through, and it mentions Lebanon specifically, and they totally cleared out the trees of Lebanon. And God calls them out for that. You know, not only do you sin and are violent against your human brothers and sisters, but also against the creation, plants and animals. I think that, you know, we live in a... Um, a world that can definitely idolize creation. You know, Paul mentions that in Romans 1, uh, worshiping created things rather than the creator. However, in Genesis, we see that we are mandated to be responsible for creation, and we have, uh, I think, forgot about that in a lot of ways. You know, to be responsible for uh, the environment around us is super important. 
and that as we see God call out ancient peoples for their sin against creation, what are we doing to make sure that we are being responsible with the creation around us? You know, maybe for us, as we pray about it, maybe that's just recycling. But as we see on greater levels, there are corporations. You know, I just saw something of uh, some textile plant in Asia somewhere, maybe it was India, just pumping all of their waste into the local river, and the river just looked like motor oil. You know, like, we are not afraid to harm the world around us if it benefits us. And God says, no. The just shall live by faith, and when we consider these things, when we're presented with a choice of, is this right or is this wrong, the faithful person says, what would God have us do? What would God have me do? This last woe in verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord in his holy temple is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. This last woe is aimed at idolatry. I think in America, idols can be seemingly less tangible, but they're still running the world, putting our faith or trust in anything besides God that raises those things to the status of an idol. Our security, our stability, um, so many times we find those things in our bank accounts or our portfolios or our jobs, our educations, the calling that we have in our lives. We live in a, the age of influencers. I'm still learning what this means. But we scroll through Instagram uh, or Pinterest, if that's you, Facebook, and we're just hammered with inspirational quotes and people telling us to live our best lives now because they do and their lives are fantastic. And we just drown ourselves in this idea that we can add value to our lives from the world around us. We can add value to our lives from being like this other person or making choices to follow our own dreams, follow our own aspirations. If you have an iPhone, maybe Android does this. Um, I'm not a sinner, so I don't have an Android. Um, but at the end of the week, it gives you your screen time report of how much time you spent on your phone. And I'm trying to find a way to turn this off because it's terrible. And it's just too revealing of like, oh, you did this and you did this. And so I'm self-employed and I do a lot of my work on my phone. And so I try to write that off as an excuse, um, but it's still terrible. And then I was thinking, you know, what if there was the same of app, but it showed you how much time you spent in prayer that week. And then you had those like contrasted with each other. It'd be super embarrassing, you know? Um, 
with the amount of time that I go looking for um, ideas or inspiration or um, motivation, um, I, I, to be honest, I don't look for any of those things in prayer. But I think, you know, as Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and it will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. I think those things uh, should be found in prayer. And as I said before, these woes are not curses for the Babylonians. They're warning, warnings against injustice, against a people that is puffed up and arrogant and proud. As just people, as people of God, we should not shy away from injustice, but speak out against it. But if it is out of our hands, Jesus says, do not overcome evil with evil, but remember that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. These woes demonstrate the lives of those who live in their pride. And they may live modestly or extravagantly. They may be successful or struggling, but ultimately, their end is all the same. They're going to be brought to justice. And everyone will see it. But the life of the righteous person is lived in faithfulness. When we face injustice, we consider God, we trust in God, and we honor God. And we reach for the opportunity to do justice. Like Job in the Old Testament, we don't allow our circumstances to change our perspective. Like Joseph, we tell those that have wronged us what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And like Jesus, we pray for those that wrong us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We trust that God has an eye on the injustice of this world and his finger on the pulse of the violence that is happening on this earth. And sometimes it does. It does feel like our hands are tied. Um, a friend of mine sent me a picture. Um, she joined a protest in the city that she's living in and um, expressed how much she enjoyed being a part of something. And for me, I'm not one that would go and do that, go to protest, um, just my personality. But at the end of the day, for a lot of those protesters, nothing's changed. Maybe their hands still feel like they're tied. But God assures us that his hands are never tied and that nothing escapes them. So we are to live lives that aren't serving ourselves, but serve others. Not to be vigilantes and take justice into our own hands, but to speak of the justice that is coming from God. Not to find ourselves pursuing the ways of the world, but to wait on the Lord. And at the end of this chapter, verse 20, it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. 
we as people of faith worship our God, and sometimes that worship is in silence. Um, and sometimes that silence isn't just in reverence, but in acceptance of his judgment. We're so tempted to build out our own systems, which ultimately will fail us. Sometimes it's best to sit in the awkward silence sometimes and just accept who God is and who we are. And the lamenting in this chapter, you know, this book is kind of an interesting book as it's not really a happy one. The lamenting is a resource for God's people to cite to those that oppress them, giving the oppressors a warning, but the oppressed hope. As we look around today, you know, there are, you know, daily children being aborted, um, families that are being separated, whether that be in our social system or our immigration system, whether that be orphans. You know, there are countries that are still ravaged by war, families who are taken advantage of by their employers, countries who oppress and suppress their people. And for all of those victims, there's always hope. Because God is just. He doesn't let any of that escape. And for us that are not out there, but in here, remind ourselves that before Christ, this was us. Before Christ, we were looking to defraud. We were looking to cut other people down. We were looking to live lives of pride and arrogance. Moses prophesied to his people in Deuteronomy, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and all of you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. Remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you the ability to produce wealth. To be honest with you guys, lately uh, I've lost sight of the fact that I have nothing without Jesus, that I am nothing without Jesus. And the truth is, with my family, my job, my life, I can trace the thread of God's grace through it all and see how he sewed it all together. And then I open my phone or hear on the radio that I am amazing and that nothing can stop me and that I should love my body, which is built from peanut butter crunch. And just reminded that the world wants me to feel like a winner by myself. That everything I need is in here, which is drastically not true. And to remind myself, uh, I found this quote this week, some words from Martin Luther uh, way back when. He says, I believe God has created me and all that exists. 
He has given me and still preserves my body and soul with all of their powers. He provides me with food and clothing, home and family, daily work, and all that I need from day to day. God also protects me in time of danger and guards me from every evil. All of this he does out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy, though I do not deserve it. Therefore, I ought to thank and praise and serve and obey him. It's easy for me to be prideful. It's easy for me to excuse injustice. Um, But the truth of the matter is God is the one that deserves my life, and he is the one that I should be living for. I should be living by faith for all that he's done for me. Um, And there's nowhere else to turn. So let's, as we head into our time of worship and communion, um, just think about these things. Ask God to search your heart to comfort you. Maybe there's an injustice that is been burdening you that you feel like is out of your hands, that he would comfort you and remind you that he sees it, that he will address it, that he will deliver those victims. And maybe on the flip side of that, maybe there are areas of our own hearts that are filled with pride, where we want to live our best life outside of the life of the faithful one. God, I pray that you would join us here in this time of worship, that you would hear and receive our worship. God, that we would be a people that understands who you are. That we would see this world through the lens of your word, through the guiding of your spirit, that we would not be a people so swift to be proud, that we would be a people not so swift to trust ourselves, but that we would be faithful, that people would look into this church, look into your church, and see that we are a people that follows you when the times get tough, that uh, we do not shrink back from injustice, but know that our God is the just one and that we would be um, not afraid to face the injustices in our own heart, the things that are going on that do not line up with you. God, I pray that for myself. I pray that for everyone in this room. And God, if there are people that need to come back to you from running away from you, I pray that you would show them that your arms are open wide. God, if there are people here that uh, may be confused, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, that they would reach out and hear what you have to say for them. God, we thank you for today and just pray that you would have your way with us. In your name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. 
Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.